Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Let's welcome, we always just love having Brother Andy Ruiz with us. Let's welcome him this morning. He's letting all the family secrets out. Turn to the person next to you, smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell them you are hot. Tell them you smell great. You smell like tacos. I do that because hopefully you're sitting next to your wife or your husband. If you're not, hopefully you're sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to scope it out and go sit in a good spot. Or we can do it again tonight at 5 o'clock and you can kind of be, you know, kind of cool about it. We're just trying to help you out, you know. Came across something I thought you might enjoy. A 72-year-old man, widow man, by the name of Mr. Johnson, he went to the doctor, wasn't feeling well, so he went to the doctor and the doctor checked him out. Several weeks later, the doctor saw Mr. Johnson at the country club, but Mr. Johnson had a very young and attractive blonde on his arm. And the doctor says, wow, you know, so he walked over and he said, Mr. Johnson, you must be feeling a whole lot better. And Mr. Johnson said, oh, yes, doc, I am. I feel great. He said, I'm just taking, you know, what you said to heart. I'm trying to follow your orders. The doctor says, oh, really? What's that? Mr. Johnson said, well, Doc, you said find a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, no, I didn't. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. (laughs) Crazy old man. (laughs) Sometimes we don't hear it exactly the way it is said. And (laughs) And I am praying that this morning, You hear it exactly as the Holy Spirit needs you to hear it, and that it finds a place of fertile ground in your heart. Because I want to speak to you, for many of you, it'll be a prophetic message. I want to speak to you for a short time on honor is the currency of elevation. Honor is the currency of elevation. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke, Dr. Luke's writing, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 47. Actually, we'll read verse 36 and then jump to verse 44, and then I'll fill in the blanks for you as we go. Honor is the currency of elevation. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Look at verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Again, I want to speak to you how honor is the currency of elevation. You see, when you develop a culture of honor, you are operating in godly principles that will affect every area of your life. It will affect every relationship, 
your job, your marriage, your home life, but ultimately it will affect your walk with God. I believe honor is the currency that God uses to bring elevation. If you want to ascend to any level of influence, hear that again, if you want to ascend to any level of influence, so many of us all want to ascend to influence on the job or possibly in your school or the area where you are living, you want to have some type of influence. And the Bible says, the Apostle Paul actually says, that it is God who gives the ability to influence man. And if you want to ascend to any level of influence, you must learn that heaven's currency and favor is based in honor. Throughout Scripture, you can see this concept of honor woven deep into the fabric of God's Word. From the book of Genesis all the way to the revelation of John on the island of Patmos, we have something to carry as Christians. And that is not only the anointing that we carry, but it is the culture of honor that we are to establish. In our conversations, in the way we treat people, at home, at work, in the grocery store, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are carriers of this gift of honor. See, if you see someone doing a good job, then stop right there and honor them at that very moment. Right in front of your colleagues. And you tell them, hey, you're doing a really good job. Recognize their accomplishments. See, that brings honor, and you're not just doing them a favor, you're doing yourself a favor. And God keeps really good books. He keeps great books. When you show honor, there's a commanded blessing released into your own life. When you arrive at the grocery line at the same time as someone else and you're in the 10 items or less line and you do a quick check of their grocery cart and you realize, well, they got more than 10 items. Don't let that just freak you out. Don't lose your mind. Just kind of let them go first. That's called preferring one another. And it's a simple way of showing and growing the habit of honor in your life. How about honor those in authority by doing what they ask? At the Little League Baseball game, the umpire, honor him. He's only 12 years old. He's doing the best he can. Instead, you start screaming, no, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. No, that's why you don't have very many pieces left. You just toss them around. Show honor by respecting the position. Listen now. You may not agree with the policy, but because you are a person of honor and a Christian, you show respect and the authority, and you do it anyway. Hear it again. Show honor by respecting the position. You may not agree with the policy, but because you are a person of honor, you respect the authority, and you do it anyway. We saw this in full display at the State of the Union, didn't we? Show honor. And I found that the amount of honor that you show, motivated by a good heart, will directly be related to the amount of God's favor that you receive in your life. It's like a heavenly bank account, and again, God keeps good books. He's the ultimate CPA. It's amazing how he knows always how to bring everything into balance. But if you're a Scrooge and with giving out your honor and your attitude is, I can't give them credit, It'll make them look so much better than me. Then you will not see God's favor in your life like you should. And it's amazing, in 30 years of ministry, this is my 30th year of ministry, we speak all over the country in churches like this, some smaller, some larger. You'll be surprised how many times I hear people say, well, I can't give them credit. And usually it's at a funeral service 
where they're trying to honor family members. And they'll say, well, if I give them credit, it's going to make me look really bad. Then I look back at them and say, well, then you won't have the favor in your life like God wants to pour out on you. Instead, you're making withdrawals from your heavenly leadership bank account, and you soon will be operating in the red. These withdrawals hinder your character. They take away from God's ability to give you influence and wisdom. You see, character is the mental and the moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Your character is the result of your choices. Choices matter. Choices matter. And it's amazing how your choices make up your character. The question you've got to ask yourself is, do I have a biblical worldview? You say, well, what, Pastor, what's a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Everything in here inspired by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself. Every dot, every exclamation point, it is the inspired word of God. When you have a biblical word worldview, suddenly now everything in your life is generated not by what the Republicans think or the Democrats think or the Independent or Tea Party, but what does the word of God say? What does God say about these issues? That's a biblical worldview. Suddenly now, everything is filtered not through your own mindset or the culture you are living in, but it's filtered through God's word. What does God say about dating? What does God say about finances? What does God say about relationships? What does God say about worship? And suddenly everything takes on a complete different parameter. That's a biblical worldview. And when you have that biblical worldview, it shows in your character. And these withdrawals hinder your character. They take away from God's ability to give you influence and wisdom on your job, in your home, in the places you live, simply because you can't be trusted to build up the people that are all around you. It's amazing. I, I love to listen to podcasts, and I'll listen to all these great young preachers, Stephen Furtick and all those guys out there. And, and here's what I hear all the time from these young preachers. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. And listen, gang, based on 30 years of ministry and almost 53 years now, I'm 53 years old, of walking with God, let me tell you, you can trust God. You can trust him. It's not a matter of whether you can trust God. The question is, can God trust you? Can he trust you to better others around you, to speak life in the ones that he's already given you? Can he... Trust you that the ones he's put in contact with you on a daily basis to speak the words of life and care. Not in a way that is manipulative so you can advance. No, please understand, God sees the heart of man. And we all know someone, whether it's in our family or possibly on the job, we all know someone who is being nice and you look at them and say, well, the only reason you're doing that is you want to advance your own agenda. How many have ever met someone like that? You realize that they were not sincere that they had ulterior motives. What happens is when that comes out, it does more damage than good because people will feel used and they feel like you're not sincere. On the other hand, when you're giving with honor, operating out of a heart of generosity and a Christ-like love, and you're always giving people credit where credit is due, and treating them with respect, and building them up, and planting positive seeds of life, well, people will sense that and see that as well. And they'll sense the genuine warmth and Christ-like love that is coming from your heart. 
then I believe you are making deposits into your heavenly leadership bank account. Here's the key. They don't know it's the Holy Spirit. They don't know it's the presence of God unless they are saved. But if they're not saved and walking with God, they sense something is different about you. And they begin to look at you and say, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something around you. There's something different about you. And that opens the door for you to speak the words of life from God's word into their life. It opens things up and suddenly they say, oh, now I see. It shows in your character. Character matters. How you live your life Monday through Saturday matters. I've got to say that again. How you live your life Monday through Saturday matters. It shows in your character. And God sees that he can use you and trust you to be a builder in people's lives, a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of homes and paths or lifestyles for people to follow and live in. This is exactly what Isaiah was speaking of in Isaiah 58 and 12. He says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. Listen now, I can preach a whole series of messages on how we need to rebuild the ancient ruins in our nation. The ancient ruins of character. The ancient ruins of dignity. The ancient ruins of who we are as Christians and how we carry ourselves. There are certain things that you do and you don't do based upon honor. Isaiah goes on to say, and you will be called repairers of broken walls. When's the last time that the church was known as repairing things instead of destroying things? And again, that's a whole other subject in and of itself. I believe God will be generous with his favor back to you when you begin to live this way. Because suddenly people say, oh, that's how you treat your wife. Oh, that's how you treat your husband. They may not say it to you, but they're watching how you react to situations. They see how you handle a rebellious child. Oh, that's how you handle your teenager that's been caught doing things they shouldn't do in high school. Oh, 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 that's how you handle your finances. You see, we're living in a generation of no voices and no ultra-sensationalism, and they haven't been shown the true walk with God. Or many of them have not seen it in their own home. And so they're looking at us. And they say, oh, that's how you live. Remember, favor is nothing more than unmerited grace. Will you say that with me? Favor is nothing more than unmerited grace. Say it again. Favor is nothing more than unmerited grace. You say, well, what does that mean? It means you don't deserve it, but God gives it to you anyway. That's what it means. It's something you don't deserve, but God pours his blessing on you. Listen, if you want to see more of God's goodness, then show honor in a greater way. And we see this in Luke chapter 7 in a very practical way. It's illustrated. Jesus was invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee. This man, Simon, is very interesting. Because when you read the whole story, it is very easy to see that Simon's attitude towards Jesus is rather ambivalent. To his credit, though, he does address him as teacher, which showed some respect. But on the other hand, he doesn't exactly welcome Jesus with open arms. It seems likely that Simon asked Jesus to dinner in order to give him the once over. Maybe to try and trip him up with some hard religious questions that were tied to politics. Many theologians believe that Simon's whole attitude in inviting Jesus was to advance his own political agenda. 
Jesus was popular, extremely popular. And if I can get this man to come on to my house, then I can gain some popularity as well. In fact, many theologians also said, and commentators I read, said that they believed that Simon had invited other well-minded or other-liked Pharisees to tag team with him to try to trip Jesus up. It's almost as if Simon is like the anxious parents who invite their daughter's boyfriend to the house for dinner to kind of check him out to see what he's really all about. But what Simon doesn't realize is he thinks he's checking Jesus out, but Jesus is checking Simon out. And Simon has no idea who he's dealing with. Now, in Jesus' day, the guests were received with a kiss, given a bowl of water with which to wash the dust off their feet, and a little perfumed oil for their hair, a little dab to smell good. Listen, I always say a little dab will do you, gang. Have you ever had someone to your house and you could smell their perfume or cologne two, three days later? A little dab will do you. It's, don't believe those Axe commercials, guys. It doesn't work that way. A little dab will do you. But Simon, he does not extend any of these customary courtesies to Jesus. And it kind of caught my attention. And I began to ask myself, why? And the only thing I could real, only thing I could suppose was that Simon was so busy welcoming his really important guests, his friends and fellow Pharisees, that Jesus was overlooked. The sea walker and the blind healer. The one who would stand out in front of Lazarus' tomb, a man who'd been dead four days, and say, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus would come out of the grave. Had to say the name Lazarus so the whole graveside didn't come jumping out. Can you imagine if Jesus would have just said, come forth, everyone would have got up and left. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. That's who is standing in the living room of Simon the Pharisee, and yet he's not even important to give him customary courtesies. My grandmother used to say things to me like this in her Spanish accent. She would say, mijo, baby, tell me. She would say, show me who you honor and what you honor and I will show you the kind of person you really are. Show me who you honor and what you honor, and I'll show you the kind of person you really are. And as you were walking away, then she would say in Spanish, and by the way, if you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. So don't complain if you get flea bit if you're laying down with dogs. You need to remember that. Don't lay down with dogs. You get fleas. So the question I've got for you is just like Simon, this week, what have you honored in your home? Who have you honored? Have you been so busy with life in San Antonio, so busy with running the kids and paying the bills and doing the things of life that you failed to honor the presence of the Holy Spirit in your house? When you sat down for that meal, is he the unseen guest at every meal? Or do you just dive in? Like my grandmother would say in Spanish, like a pack of dogs that were so hungry, you don't even recognize where the blessing came from. Honor is the currency of elevation. However, the woman who was not supposed to be there, she changed everything. And I love that statement because 99.9% .9 of all of us here, me included, would have never been invited to this dinner party because this was the upper crust. 
This was the who's who of politics at that time in Jerusalem. And the woman who wasn't supposed to be there changed everything. Well, when you read the whole story, it says, while Jesus reclined at the table, a woman who was living a very sinful life came into the house with an alabaster jar of very fragrant oil. Listen, when it says a woman who was living a sinful life, that's a nice way of saying the prostitute, the street walker, the hooker walked in the kitchen. She snuck into the kitchen, past all the hired help, went past the living room, ducked into the dining room to this grand hall and walked up to Jesus. It's amazing to me that she walks up not to his head for intimacy or his body for sexual favor, but to his feet. Her servanthood. And she stood behind him and begins to weep. In our Western mentality, we don't understand this because when we say he's sitting at the table or reclining at the table, we imagine someone sitting in a chair with their feet under the table. But during Jesus' time, really reclining was reclining. Chances were that he was laying on his side with his hand under his elbow, laying on some imported pillows from India or Asia, fine silk. So she was able to get access to his feet. Oil or perfume in this instance represented honor and blessing. You can say she poured her honor on Jesus. Now here's where it starts to get interesting. Let me break it down for you so you can see the hidden gems and understand the culture so you can apply it to yourself. Because the Pharisee, he gets upset. And he says, why did she waste the oil? We could have sold the oil and given the money to the poor. Stop right there and make note in your Bible. Write down the law of first mention. The law of first mention. Many of you who are frequent Bible readers and you love to study the Bible, you need to take note when something happens more than once. When the exact thing happens twice, you take note. That's called the law of first mention. That means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit want you to pay attention really close right here. Because this same instance happened another time but not to a Pharisee. It happened to a hand-picked disciple by the name of Judas Iscariot. Judas was a healer of the sick. He's a hand-picked disciple of Christ, but he's also the treasurer of the apostolic ministerial team. He's part of the 12 disciples. During the Passover, the celebration of what God did for the children of Israel years earlier with Moses when he took them out of Israel, the Passover, there was millions of Jews in Jerusalem. And Jesus is at the house of Lazarus, his friend. He has just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's already spoken the amazing Sermon on the Mount. And now they're at a dinner party at Lazarus' house. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha, her sister, is running around the house. And Jesus is sitting there. And Mary brought some very fragrant oil. And she poured it on the feet of Jesus. And Judas gets upset. And he says, why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? The law of first mention. Remember, the Pharisees said the exact same thing. Now, you have to stop and pay attention and look at the mode of operation to really see what's happening here. Because when you look at Judas, he didn't say it because he was motivated by the poor. No, we find out that the reason Judas said it is because he was a thief and he used to steal the money out of the offering plate. 
And he's thinking, why didn't we sell this? In fact, when you look at John, the book of John tells us that he said, why wasn't it sold for 300 denarii? 300 denarii in our day and age is twenty-five dollars to $35,000. So he's thinking, ka-ching, we need to sell this and get this thing so I get my hands on it. Twenty-five dollars to $35,000. The Pharisee in Luke is not thinking about the poor either. He's thinking about his own political agenda. He's thinking about how it will raise him up in politics. And he said, boy, you know what? If we could sell this and, and give it to the poor, it will really make me look good. See, God sees the secrets of your heart. He knows exactly what motivates you. And to both men, he says the same thing. Don't bother the woman. She has done the best thing. Which tells us that when we are giving honor or showing honor, we are doing the best thing. Right there, I want you to sit there and I want you to search your heart and ask yourself, what are my motivations? Why do I serve God? Is it for something that I can get? What do I honor in my home? Very interesting that Jesus says, don't bother the woman. She's done the best thing. Now here again is where the story takes another twist because the Bible tells us that Simon begins to think in his mind. He doesn't even articulate the words out loud. He doesn't verbalize them. He simply begins to think in his mind. And he says to himself, this man must not be a prophet, for if he was a prophet, he would know who this woman really was, and he wouldn't allow her to do those things. Here's his conundrum. The problem is he's thinking this in his mind, and he doesn't realize that he is dealing with the man who created his mind. He doesn't realize that he's talking to the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. He doesn't realize that he's talking to the one who 30 years earlier was deity in diapers in a little place called Bethlehem of Judea. The Bible says that Jesus understood his thoughts. If I had time, I could show you how God still knows your thoughts. The Old Testament talks about different kings who are frustrated because God would whisper to the prophets exactly what the king was saying in the privacy of his own bedchamber, and it caused him such frustration that he called his own generals traitors. And they said, no, 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 sir, we're not traitors. <laughs> the problem is the God of Elisha, who hears what you whisper in the midnight hour in your bedroom, and then he tells it to the prophet. Listen to me, friend. We still serve a God that hears what you whisper in the midnight hour in your room. But I digress. So Simon is thinking, if this guy really knew who she was, Jesus reads his thoughts and says, Simon, I have a question for you. And he puts Simon on center stage. Simon, there were two people. Both owed a great debt. Oh, you read it. It's in there. One was greater than the other, but they both couldn't pay the debt. 
So the owner of the debt, he forgives both debts, Simon. Simon, which person would love more? And Simon, he just smiles and he says, well, Lord, it's almost in his mind like he's calculating the right political question to answer. If he was on CNN or MSNBC, he would, he, this is, I, I'm, I'm in my spot right now. Well, Lord, I guess the one who owed the most, loved the most. Yes, Simon, that's a good answer. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is jerking the covers off of the hypocrisy. And he's showing the motivation of the heart. Listen to me. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. And after Jesus says all this, he turns to the woman, and literally, you can almost imagine, can you imagine Simon's eyes are probably as big as baseballs, his mouth is probably dropped now, there's a dead silent in the room, and Jesus turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. Notice she gave honor and she received favor. Again, what is favor? Nothing but unmerited grace. And when you pour out the oil of honor, motivated by a good heart that loves God, it then becomes the blessings that is returned back to you. No honor, no blessing, limited honor, limited blessing. You will never receive what you are not willing to give. If you don't give honor, you won't have the honor to the level that God truly wants you to have. And some of you can go to a new level in your marriage. Dare I say, a new level in your families, a new level in your church, a new level on your job, if you can simply begin to honor the people God has put in your life in a greater way. In Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. And we all have thought that, well, it was their lack of faith. But Jesus then tells us, well, not only was it their lack of faith, but their lack of honor. For the Bible says when he got to Nazareth, he did a couple of miracles, but not to the extent that he really wanted to because of their lack of unbelief. They looked at him and they said, well, he's just Mary and Joseph's boy. It's no big deal. If it happened today, they would say, well, listen, he played literally with my third grader. I taught him in elementary school. He's no big deal. Their lack of honor of who he was caused a hindrance to the amount of anointing or power that was flowing. Because Jesus himself says in the inscription in verse 4, Mark chapter 6, Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. In other words, they were so familiar with him. They were so familiar with who he was, they had the conformity that is bred from familiarity. It's no big deal. It's just see, teacher. It's what we do every week. We just go. And this is how it's going to happen, and they're going to sing this song, and then do that song, and then they're going to do this and do that, and we're going to be out at a certain time. It's no big deal, the conformity that is bred from familiarity. 
There was no fear of the Lord in Nazareth. Now, when I say the fear of the Lord, I'm not talking about the fear that God is going to kill you. I'm talking about a fear that you're going to hurt him. I fear my wife. I really do. How many men fear your wives? Let me see your hand. All raise your hand. You better raise your hand. It's not a fear that your wife can beat you up. She probably could. But it's a fear that somehow you'll do something or say something or act a certain way that just hurts her, that damages her, that grieves her. Do you realize that my beautiful wife who texted me today and she said, the, hey, the water is everywhere, you know, and this is happening. Do you realize that the only reason she can honor my public ministry is because she's seen the integrity of my private ministry? And it's not a fear that I'm going to, that Cardine's going to beat me up, but a fear that I'm going to hurt her. So I make choices to live my life a certain way. I, I make choices that I don't watch certain things. I make choices that I don't go certain places. I don't look at woman, women in a certain way. I guard my heart. I guard myself because I want to give her honor and grace. The same is with the Holy Spirit. I am so thankful that God the Father sent the only begotten Son to die on a cross for me. And then three days later, he sent the Holy Spirit to invade the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raise to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. I am so thankful that when I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the Bible says that the Spirit of the living God comes to live and dwell inside of this earthen vessel. He lives the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Lazarus, the same power that shut the door and closed it for Noah as that ark sailed away, the same power that split the Red Sea for Moses, the same power that was a wheel within a wheel, the same power that was a fire by day and a cloud by night, that same power of God lives inside every one of the children of God who have bent their knee and said, Holy Spirit, I I need a savior. That's the reason why I live the way I live. I'm protecting the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. It's a choice we make. I don't want any hindrance to God's presence in my life. So when you live that way with a biblical worldview, no longer is it should I smoke, but why I don't. No longer is it should I drink, but why I don't. No longer is it, should I go to that R-rated movie or that movie, but why I don't. No longer is it, should I date an unsafe person, but why I don't. No longer is it, well, should I drink that six-pack of beer, but why I don't. Well, you know, Pastor, it doesn't say that we cannot drink. It says, do not be drunk. And, you know, I just take it as a beverage. And so since I take it as a beverage, it's no big deal. I'm going to look at you and say, what does the Scripture say? The scripture says it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause someone to fall and stumble. And if they're watching you, as Isaiah says, repairers of the breach, oh, that's how you live. And they're watching you. What happens if they see you drink that one beer that you can handle, but they can't? And now they're in an alcoholic stupor. It's not should I do things, but why I don't. 
And we can argue all day long the doctrinal stance and the theology and Scripture and, and the gray areas of Scripture, but it all comes down to character and obedience. No, it's, I don't do those things because I'm setting them aside. I want there to be a free flow of God's presence in my home and in my family. Let me take this a step further. Paul said in Ephesians 6 and 2 and 3, Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. See, that's the commanded blessing. If you show honor, I will be well with you. Listen, it should start in our own families with the people that are the closest to us. And yet, I have seen people treat complete strangers better than they treat their own spouse. I told the first service, while at a very large church on the West Coast that will remain nameless, I was in the lobby in the Starbucks, and they had two Starbucks, one in the lower level, one in the upper level. And it was all glass. It was a big glass atrium, and I was sitting there drinking my latte and kind of scoping it out and watching everyone, you know. And I noticed this young man, he was GQ'd out. He was walking from the parking lot. He had the little brown patent leathers. He had the skinny jeans. He had his hair faded just right. He had a little goatee, you know, that was waxed down. And he was just bebopping in, you know, and he looked like he shopped at Express. And he was just walking in. And, and he's, hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? He's knuckling everybody. What's going on? And I noticed about 20 feet behind him was his wife, the cutest thing you've ever seen. They're probably in their mid-20s, early 30s. And she's, she's pushing the stroller. He had her loaded down like a pack mule. There was one diaper bag here, one diaper bag here. She, she's pushing the stroller with her left hand, and with the right hand, she's got a little toddler doing the wet noodle. Anybody know what the wet noodle is? She's dragging that kid through the wet noodle, you know. And she's dragging the kid, and her hair is all over like this, you know, and She's all disheveled, and, and he just GQ'd out, and he's at the coffee bar getting his coffee, and she makes it to the lobby. And I notice that the ushers, they see this woman, and they rush over to her. Follow me now. He turns around, and we catch eyes. He has the bulletin in his hand, and the bulletin has my picture on the cover. And he looks at the picture. He looks at me. He looks at the picture. He goes, what's up? Oh, you the man. And I went like this, come here. And just when he got to me, I looked at him. And you have to understand, this church, you know, they, they, it's an amazing church. And they had a very large screen TV uh, playing Fox News in the Starbucks. And so the latest news was going on. And so I'm kind of watching all this happen. And he walks over to me, and I said, hey. He goes, hey. I said, you're going to pay for that. He goes, pay for what? I said, pay for that. He looks at his coffee. And he goes, oh, hey, bro, I already prayed, paid for it. And then I realized that with his age, maybe he didn't have a father at home who taught him how to be a godly man. And I said, no, bro, not the coffee. You're going to pay for that. And he looked over just in time to see other men walking with his family to the Christian Education Week. You're going to pay for that. And he looks at me, and he kind of tilted his head. He was about to have a Scooby-Doo moment. 
For those of you younger than Pastor Doug and I, you don't understand Scooby-Doo, watch Netflix. Because whenever Scooby-Doo found something he'd never seen, he went, oh. <laughs> and that's exactly what this kid did. Oh. I said, you go pay for that. He says, what do you mean? Why? I said, because, bro, women are like volcanoes. And he kind of looks at me. And just then, in the coffee bar, they're showing pictures of Kilauea going off, you know. And that's where I got the illustration from. I said, see that thing over there? Women are like volcanoes. He said, what do you mean? I said, listen, I've been to Hawaii. I've seen Kilauea. It's amazing. They've got golf courses all around it and beautiful palm trees. And, and there's condos and the ocean. And, man, it's awesome on the surface. But underneath, if it doesn't get vented, he looks at me. There's an explosion. Everybody's running for cover. They say, where did that come from? Women are like volcanoes. Take it from a man who's been married 30 years. Now he's catching it, and he starts to catch a little tear, and he looks at me. There's four services that day. He was in the altar in every service. At the conclusion, he meets me in the lobby, and he's just, <laughs> and he's got tears. He's got mocos. There's boogers everywhere. <laughs> you know when you're snubbing? <laughs> I said, okay, all right. That's <laughs> my heart went out to him like he was one of my boys. I got three sons. <laughs> he goes, Pastor, <laughs> I just want to let you know, I picked up my kids at the nursery. I wanted to pat him on the head and say, good boy. But I didn't. I said, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Then I reaffirmed him and said, that's a start. And he walked away. Carlene and I have been married almost 30 years now, and people ask us how we do it. We laugh a lot. We try and keep humor in our home. That's why I enjoy being around Doug and Janet. We laugh a lot and, uh, when we're together. And the other day, Carly and I were leaving. I think it was TGI Fridays or Applebee's. I'm not sure what it was. And I, and I tripped over the concrete barrier in the parking lot, and I went down. I went down, and she went into a belly laugh. She just started, oh, thanks, babe. Appreciate all the support. <laughs> Truth is, if, if, if she'd have gone down, I'd have laughed, too, as I was picking her up. You know, and... <laughs> My wife is organized. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. She's got everything in its perfect spot. She, she goes to Bed Bath & Beyond and gets all the boxes, you know, for the closet, and they're all marked and labeled, and, and she tells me, now, these towels you can use and these towels you cannot use. And, well, what does that mean? Well, these are for other people. Or oh, like, I'm not good enough. No, no, these are for the guests. I get the really hard, scratchy towels from Walmart. These are, right, bro? Right, yeah, he's, he's cracking up. I see you up there. Yeah. We get the hard, scratchy towels, you know, and the duvet. I don't even know what a duvet is. Anyway, so I digress. So, you know, she, <laughs> she organizes the closet. Well, she went and she organized. We have a closet that we share, you know, and uh, she came to me and she said, you're irking me. I said, what? She said, you just drive me crazy. It's almost like she said, you're tap dancing on my last nerve. 
<laughs> have you ever had somebody tap dance on your last nerve? Yeah. Family knows how to do that. And I said, why? And she said, because I organize everything. I get it all put together. I get it looking really nice. And here comes Hurricane Randy two days later. And I just saw you pat him right there. I caught you. Yeah. <laughs> She said, and you don't even care. Well, I let it go in one ear and out the other until um, I couldn't find my golf shoes. Yeah. And I didn't have the guts to ask my wife if she'd seen them. <laughs> because she would say, well, if you would put them in the box, mark golf shoes. She, her favorite, this is her famous line, they can't walk away on their own. I hate that line. It's so true, but I hate that line. She'll say that about the keys. They can't walk away on their own. I knew she was going to say your golf shoes are probably in the golf cart or in your golf bag or in someone's car, so I just left it alone. And I was on my hands and knees in the, in the, in the closet looking, searching through all the shoes, and at this instance, I made the mistake of asking the Holy Spirit to help me. Because my phone was buzzing, I'm playing in a golf tournament with Convoy of Hope, and I know they're on the tee, and, and Hal Donaldson is texting me, and so I said, <laughs> I said, Holy Spirit, will you help me find my golf shoes? And it wasn't an audible voice that I heard. It was more of something deep down inside. And the Holy Spirit said to me, when are you going to start honoring your wife by doing what she asked you to do so I can answer your prayers? That can't be God. <laughs> But then he brought some memory, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. That your prayers may not be Or the women yell that one out. The prayers may not be hindered. And I literally, on my knees already, began to repent and I began to weep. And the only thing I could muster up was, Lord, are you telling me that dreams and visions are being hindered in our ministry? Because I can't keep the closet clean? Lord, are you telling me that souls are not being saved? Miracles are not happening? Dreams are not being fulfilled because I can't keep the closet clean. The Holy Spirit says, no, Randy, what you not, aren't getting is the closet is the trigger point. Everyone say trigger point. Say it again, trigger point. What that means is it was the trigger to open my wife up to spiritual warfare that she should never have to deal with. Because the moment that I ignored the situation and didn't honor her in that way, Satan, the adversary, who has the ability to create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking, you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and suddenly these thoughts begin to come, and Satan begins to deposit into her spirit and into her mind and her emotions the thoughts that say, he doesn't care for you. He doesn't love you. If he did... He'd be doing this, this, and this. 
He only wants physicalness. And suddenly I realized that as the priest of my home, I was opening her up. Now go back in your your mind. Simon the Pharisee, the Pharisee, the priest there, he has the ability to create the climate of honor, and yet he's so busy in his selfish ways, he can't even honor God. Wives, it is especially important that you honor your husband. Honor is one of your husband's greatest needs. You can say the right thing, but if you say it dishonorably or sarcastically, he's not going to hear anything you say. Come on, bro. Hebrews 13 and 4 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. I was watching a television interview a while back. The topic was the transgender open relationship thing that was happening in America. We all remember the target issues. You know. And they were interviewing Franklin Graham. I'm going to try to close this and bring you to this altar. Don't miss tonight, part two of this message. Five o'clock. But the interviewer looked over at Franklin Graham and said this. Don't you think it's time to bring the Bible kicking and screaming into the 21st century? And Franklin Graham, he said, no, sir. I mean, it was immediate. He said, no, sir. It's time to bring culture kicking and screaming back to what the Bible teaches because that is where the problems are coming from. And either we're going to accept the Bible is the source of truth on marriage and the family and your finances and your relationships, spiritual warfare. You can't pick and choose the parts of this Bible that you agree with or disagree with. And if you're looking to the current cultures and trends of the day, you're headed for divorce court. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 gives us the key to it all. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Listen, I'll be completely honest with you. There's no way that I can be the person that God is calling me to be without a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit on a daily basis. There's no way I could be the husband, the father, the minister, the friend. There's no way my wife could be the wife, the, 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 the helpmate, the mom that she needs to be without a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need this power. And the sad reality is, you may be around people that are dishonorable. People that are hard to love and hard to respect. And sometimes, you have to honor people by faith and treat them not the way they are, but the way you want them to become. And when you honor someone who is dishonorable, and you give honor to someone and respect who really doesn't deserve it. When you're kind, even when they are not kind, what you're doing is you're pouring seeds of anointing upon them. The even sadder reality is there are people right now listening to me speak, whether it's live stream or sitting in this auditorium, there are people who have family members who don't deserve honor. And every time I say that, it just catches me. 
Maybe a parent that did you wrong. Maybe a father that molested you and your mother was too afraid to say anything about it. A brother-in-law that's always talking negative about you. Listen, don't sink down to their level. Begin to pray and ask God for the supernatural love of the Holy Spirit. Jensen Franklin, one of my favorite preachers, he says this, only the Holy Spirit can give you the ability to love like you've never been hurt. And there are some of you, you're going to come to this altar today and pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit to help you love like you've never been hurt. And some of you are sitting here saying, wait a second, Randy, you're asking me to honor someone that I hate. I can't stand with everything in me because of all the hurt that they've done to me. It's an act of honor just to pray for them to change. And then pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. You may not be able to be in the same room with that person, but if you can even begin to pray, Holy Spirit, open their eyes that they would see. Holy Spirit, listen, you may never have a relationship with them again, but you do want their soul saved. Only God can do that. I heard a very familiar story about a young man in his early 20s who had a big disagreement with his father. He left the house angry, and for nearly 30 years, they never spoke to each other. The, whole, the young man's life, his whole life was a struggle. He couldn't seem to get ahead, never got any good breaks. Year after year, he was living in a small apartment with his family. One day, his sister called him and said, Dad's in the hospital. He's dying. And something deep down in his heart said, I got to go make it right. He drove four hours to the hospital, walked in. And when his dad saw him, they began to cry. The young man said, Dad, I'm sorry. It was my fault. The father said, no, 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 it was my fault. And then they looked at each other, and they asked, what were we even fighting about? Well, I, I don't remember. The young man started honoring his father. He would take his children to see the dad on a regular basis, the four-hour drive. The dad would come and spend a couple of days with the kids, on one occasion, when the father was there visiting, the grandfather was visiting, the little toddler got up in his grandpa's lap and said, Grandpa, I wish you lived in my bedroom. The young father heard that, and he said, we're going to make that happen. So he moved his dad into the bedroom with his son. It wasn't too long after that that the young man got a promotion that he was trying to get for over 10 years. He didn't know how he was going to send his oldest daughter to college, but out of the blue, she received a scholarship to the university she was hoping to get into, fully paid. After all those years living in a small apartment, they were able to purchase their first home and give dad his own bedroom, his own bathroom. One thing after the other began to fall into place. Why? I believe when there's a culture of dishonor, God's blessing is pulled back from your life. You'll not walk in the fullness of what God has for you. However, if you will do like the sun and find any area of dishonor and start bringing honor, start bringing respect, then you can break the cycle of dishonor and you'll see God's favor in a greater way. And listen, I really am trying to close this. 
But there are so many who have been lied to by false teaching. And years ago, somebody somewhere came up with a false doctrine that said, as a Christian, you're under generational curses. That's a lie from the pits of hell. The moment you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, the moment you realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, the same power that raised Christ from the dead comes to live within you. He breaks every curse of sin in your life and over your life. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. If there was generational curses for a Christian, Oh, that would be wonderful. You know why? Because I wouldn't have to worry about ever being responsible. I could just tell my wife, hey, babe, I got to tell you something. I just slept with four women, went to a party, you know, and, uh, and there was four women there. And I, but you know what? It's not my fault that I had sex with them because I'm under a curse. Exactly. She'd look at me and say, excuse me? You're not under a curse, and you're not under this roof either. You're out, bro. She'd say, don't let the door hit you with the good Lord splits. You're gone. It's over. But yet there are so many people saying, I'm not responsible for the way I act. I'm not responsible for what I do. It's a curse. No, it's your sin. There's no such thing as generational curses, but there are generational strongholds that masquerade as personality traits in your family that you pass down from generation to generation, and you say, well, that's just how we are. You know, we, we all like our beer. No, that's your sin. You've given up one area of your life to the devil. It's a stronghold in your mind. You're saved. You're born again. You're on your way to heaven, but you've got to learn a new way of living. You've got to learn a new way of talking. That's why you've got to be in church every time he's teaching. That's why you can't miss a, a youth group night because you've got to learn a new way to break every stronghold by the renewing of my mind and the meditation of my heart, tearing down thoughts to the obedience of Christ. How many understand what I'm saying? It all starts with you saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you in my home. I want to build a culture of honor. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.